The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. This morning's scripture reading, Psalm 97, in the Pew Bible, it's page 499. If you don't have a Bible at home, stop by the info table after the service and pick one up as a gift from Park Church. Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up all his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Doing all right? My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm looking forward to getting into Psalm 97 with you all. Before we do, just have good news for you. Um, The God of the universe is with us. That's good news. I know, it's really great news. And so he wants to speak to us. I think it's worthy of yelling. And so I appreciate that, Kyra. I love that. Um, it is worthy. He's here and he wants to speak to us. He's given us his word. His word is alive. And so we're going to take a moment and just kind of calm our hearts and just kind of be still before that reality and then ask him to speak to us, uh, both corporately as a whole people, as a church family, but also individually in your life that he would indeed uh, pursue us with his righteousness and his love and his voice. So let's pray to him. Um, Father, thank you for sending us your Holy Spirit. And so we, even right now, just want to pause. Um, We're going to pause before you and acknowledge uh, your presence here with us and pray that you would still our souls to hear your voice. Um, Father, would you awaken our souls? Uh, Would you open up uh, the eyes of our heart, open up our ears to not merely hear um, words and communication, but to hear your word, your voice from, from your word, and that it would pierce into our lives, that you would indeed pursue us, that you would indeed uh, climb up mountains, that you would kick down walls, that you would tear down lies, that you would light up shadows and the areas of our heart that we've tucked away from you, the parts of our heart that we've kind of sequestered and hidden uh, from even maybe our own consciousness, that we've kind of compartmentalized aspects of our life that we have not surrendered to you, uh, that we feel maybe shame about, that you would, with your love, with your grace, uh, with your holiness, that you would light up those areas and bring transformation tonight or this morning. And would you And would you do powerful work to take us in the areas where our hearts are wandering from you and help us to see the glory of your reign, that you would would help our hearts to be glad in your reign, even in the midst of the complexities of this life, that you would help us to turn from the things that we're running to instead of you and instead of your glory, and that you would help us, um, Jesus, even in the midst of the complexity, maybe the weariness that people feel, the weight that people carry, that you would help us to hold on to the hope that you're coming again uh, to make all things new, 
uh, that the night will give way uh, to the morning, that light will pierce the darkness. And so would you give us hope this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I'm not sure if you're a fan of playlists, but I am. I'm a big fan of playlists. So I have like a playlist for all sorts of different things. I have playlists like for running, a running playlist. I have a playlist for studying and a different playlist for studying when I'm really tired, which is the one I use most of the time, like the keep me awake playlist. It's a little more intense. We have playlists for like morning worship with our family, playlists for our kids. We have playlists for like summer fun pop music just to like enjoy the, the day. And I don't know how you make those playlists. Maybe it's with Alexa or Spotify or iTunes or whatever it is. But do you remember the day when you had to make a mixtape? Um, do you remember the day when you had to make a mixtape? talked about this with our family yesterday, mixtapes. We were talking to our kids about mixtapes that you'd sit down and you'd sit down by the radio and you have the radio on and you'd be listening to like Casey Kasem's, you know, Countdown or something like that. Anybody? All right. All right. So you'd be listening and you're waiting for that song and as soon as it clicks on, maybe even call the radio station to request it, which never worked for me ever. Uh, but you'd request and you'd make it and you'd get that song and get that song and maybe rearrange them. But you'd have your mixtape. So I remember as a, a teenager using that, and you just start burning CDs and all that kind of stuff, uh, obviously legally, you know. Uh, and so, like we all did so faithfully, um, Lord have mercy on us, we confess corporately. <laughs> uh, forgive us. And, uh, and so we would have these like, uh, you know, mixtapes, these burn CDs or whatever they were for you. And, and I remember like, riding on a lawnmower, uh, mowing lawns, uh, going through life as a teenager, mowing lawns, and these, these certain songs that were on this like playlist, this mixtape. And every time I hear a song like that, like a song, it just like takes me back to that moment on the John Deere, riding down the kind of grass and just listening and mowing these lawns. And it brings me back to those places, these, these mixtapes, these, these songs that would bring me back to this place and remember these kind of nostalgic moments every time I hear them. And the reason why I bring that up is because the Psalms are in a very real sense, are designed by God to be a sort of a mixtape that are designed to help the people of God come back to certain things and certain seasons of life. And so in particular, one of the things that has been working through the Psalms that I don't think we've focused on too much is kind of the, the form of the whole book of the Psalms. So the whole book of the Psalms is a compilation or an anthology, an anthology that's um, compiling a lot of different songs, some of which were written for like individual or household worship, some of which were written for corporate worship, time together, and they were compiled not kind of arbitrarily, but with design and with intention and put together in a book, actually five books of songs that we have now as our full book of the Psalms, or some people call it the Psalter. And so we have this book of the Psalms that is a compiled anthology of songs and prayers that are designed to help the people of God, in particular, deliver to the people of God in a time of exile. So you could say that the Psalms are, in one sense, in a very real sense, like a mixtape designed by God to help people in the midst of exile. So what's exile? Exile is a really important biblical theme that is, is necessary for you to understand if you're going to make sense of the prophets and a lot of what's happening in the Bible when they're waiting for Jesus to come. And so to kind of understand it in its very basic form, exile is a place where you're apart, you're separated from your home. You've been taken away, displaced from the place where you belong, the home where you belong. And so this actually happens in the Garden of Eden, that Adam and Eve belong, humanity belongs in the presence of God, and they were designed to experience life and flourishing life in his presence. But because of their rebellion, and because of all subsequent humans, our rebellion from God, we are exiled, separated from the place where we belong to be, this place where we were made to be, at home 
with God. And so you get this kind of bigger uh, manifestation of exile with the people of Israel. So we've been walking through the series through the Exodus in the spring. We'll get back there in the fall. For the Israelites, they were redeemed or they were set free from captivity or bondage to the Egyptians by God's power, by God's grace. He set them free. They went through the wilderness for 40 years. That's where we're at right now in the story of Exodus. By the time you get to the book of Joshua, they're going to be entering into this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. Eventually, they're going to build a temple. And in that temple is the place where the the presence of God, the glory of God exists, where they get to come near to the presence of God. And many of the Psalms are written reflecting that reality of what life was like in the presence of God, what life in the temple was like. And so some of the songs are going to be talking about this beauty of God and the glory of God and what it means to be in the sanctuary of God where you experience his righteousness and his protection and his love and his holiness and his grace and his magnificence that he satisfies us as we come into his presence. And so the Psalms are sort of like written in that time, many of them by David, but then they're compiled and they became sort of the songbook for the people of God in exile. Because what happened is the people of God, just like Adam and Eve, rejected the reign of God, turned away from his voice, didn't trust his word, rebelled against him, and God, yet again, exiled them from his presence. The way that happened was through uh, a people group, the Mesopotamians, and the Mesopotamians, the capital of Mesopotamia was Babylon. And Babylon, the Babylonians, came, and they conquered Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and they took the people of God captive, and took them into exile in Babylon. And so when you learn about the Bible and you hear people talking about this is during the time of exile, what they're talking about is when the people of God, where their home is in Jerusalem, their home is to be near the temple, they're away from their home and they're in Babylon. They're in a culture, in a society where people do not worship Yahweh, the one true God. They don't love his values. They don't love his righteousness. They're surrounded by people that worship different gods. And the impulse of that culture is to entice their hearts to compromise with the Babylonian way of life. And so in exile, it's this very vulnerable time for the people of God because they need to be faithful. They're called to be faithful to the one true God. And yet there are things that are tugging on their hearts, kind of tempting them to potentially assimilate, to acquiesce to the value systems of the society around them. And in that sense, they are a picture of all of the experience of humanity. They are a picture of your life. You live in a time of exile. We actually live in a time of exile where our life now is, is a life where we've learned about the reign of God. If you're a Christian, you've learned about the reign of God in Jesus Christ. You've learned about his love and his grace. You've learned about his righteousness. You've learned about his Holy Spirit. And yet we live in a culture where we're surrounded by impulses and desires and systems and values. And we could even say ways of worship, ways of living that are different and actually tug us away from the presence of God. So we've been talking about those things. But what I want to kind of like highlight this morning is the fact that the Psalms are designed to help you in this space. They're designed to be the mixtape of your life, the sort of like playlist of your life where these themes that are, that are kind of going through in this poetic fashion are supposed to be kind of rustling around in your mind and in your life where you're meditating on the word of God day and night where these, these psalms, these themes, these values, these truths are actually helping you live your life in the middle of exile because there are some impulses that we tend to take in a time of exile. One of the impulses that some Christians tend to take is this kind of like withdrawal, this withdrawing from culture. And so you could say like forming this like little people of God ghetto, this little Christian ghetto where we stay really close and really tight with people that love the same things we love, value the same things we value, say the things we say and kind of do the things we do. And we just try to keep it really tight because we're afraid that if we get out into the city, into the culture, into the stuff around us that we won't make it. And so we withdraw and we pull back and that's not what God calls us to. 
But another impulse is that we would maybe try to overtake the culture by force, right? This kind of, this attempt to revolt against the culture, that we need to change the culture. We need to, we need to make America this place that has all these Christian values and does all these things. We need to do it by force and do it by law. We need to do these things. And, and being engaged in politics is healthy and good and appropriate and as a part of our calling as human beings here is to be engaged and to seek the welfare of those around us through our faithfulness in the public sphere. We care about that. But to actually enforce Christian values on a society isn't the same as experiencing the kingdom of God. In fact, we should remember that we're not in the New Jerusalem. We're not in paradise. As much as Denver is beautiful and great and wonderful, we're in a world that's marked by beauty and brokenness. And it's even in the brokenness of our society that we remember we are not home. We're in exile. But another impulse, and I'd say one of the ones that I feel as I think about my life and our church is the impulse to assimilate or the impulse to acquiesce and to compromise and to be kind of like pulled astray by the values of our culture. To let the value systems, the way of life, the way of worship where people tend to find life and love and, and happiness and joy and justice and salvation, where people go for those things, our tendency is to assimilate. And God does not call us to do that. He calls us to be faithful to him while being present in the city. So there's a guy named James Davison Hunter uh, who wrote a book about this where he talks about what he describes as faithful presence. And that really is the calling for us as human beings, as Christians, is to be present in society, engaged in society, loving the city that God's called us to, but holding fast to his righteousness, holding fast to his truth while being active, building homes, we learn about in Jeremiah 29, having families, engaging in work, getting jobs, and seeking the welfare of our city, through the things that God's called you to, really good things he's called you to, but not acquiescing, not assimilating, not caving into the value systems, holding fast this reality. We are not home. We are in exile. We are in Babylon. And these Psalms, and in particular Psalm 97, gives us a few truths. And these are truths we've been kind of uh, wrestling around for the past few weeks. They're very common. And so I'm going to move kind of quickly through these truths that are in particular in Psalm 97, but I'll slow down in a couple places that I think are extremely relevant for us. But I want you to think about it in this way. Um, there are things that are right now kind of like, uh, like the Pied Piper, just kind of like whistling like sirens, kind of a calling your soul to these different areas into this world. And Psalm 97 and the Psalms are supposed to be these kind of like truths that are meditating and kind of circling around our mind that help us hold fast to the the faithfulness to God in the midst of our time of exile. And so the first one we're going to see in Psalm 97 uh, is simply this. The Lord reigns over the exile. Um, the Lord reigns over the exile. Look at verse 1. Look at what it says. It's awesome. You just imagine the people of Israel. They're away from the presence of God. They're away from Jerusalem. And they're supposed to be singing. And there are certainly songs where there's, they're, they're saying, How long, O Lord? But this one starts off, imagine singing this in a time of intense darkness. The Lord Yahweh reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. It's like God is on the throne. The Lord God is on the throne. While we're in exile, while we're in this time of wandering, in the midst of the brokenness around us, the Lord is on the throne. He's reigning over all of it. And so there are pains and there are difficulties. And the goal of this psalm is not to say pains and difficulties are happy, but in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the, the corruption and the division and the injustice, in the midst of the brokenness in our own hearts, the fact that God is on the throne reigning is good news. We just sang, God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Like he is on the throne. 
in the midst of all of the beauty and all of the brokenness. He's on the throne. And I think it's significant. I think a lot about these themes of beauty and brokenness we've talked about a lot, that in the midst of this world, there are beautiful things to be enjoyed and be seen as a reflection of God's character. So we experience love and friendship and life and and family and we experience work and we experience mountains and we experience pleasure and, and culture and all these things that like help us understand something about what God's like. Those exist to help us know the reign of God, but also the broken areas of life. It's the broken areas of life that remind us that we need the power of God to defeat the brokenness. We cannot change the brokenness on our own. We need God. So even in the areas of pain, even in the areas of darkness, they exist to remind us that we are in exile. This is not our home. And God reigns over the exile. He is still on the throne teaching us and refining us and teaching us to grow. There's corruption that marks all of those beautiful things. There's corruption systemically, there's corruption internationally, there's corruption locally, and there's corruption in our homes, and there's corruption in our hearts. And it's corruption that we can't defeat. And that's why I love what this psalm does. The psalm is going to start using images that remind the people of God of his power. Look at what it says in the passage. It starts using these themes that remind us actually of the Exodus. It says, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. He is a good king. And it's reminding of these images where God is on Sinai and he's called the people to himself that they're reminded. This is the God who had the power to deliver them from the brokenness, to deliver them from their bondage. He defeated the Egyptian, um, kind of the tyranny of the Egyptians. And he was rescued his people, brought them out of Egypt by his grace alone. And that God is the God who is still, while they're in Babylon and while you live in this culture, God is on the throne. He's the one who has power. He's the one who has the power to defeat his adversaries. It talks about fire moving forward so he can burn up and destroy his adversaries, those who oppose his, uh, oppose his reign. And I love this verse in verse 5. It says, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. And the images of God's ability to make flat, to make straight a path to return from exile. And so as you think about the mountains, right? Where are we at? Okay, there we go. That was my compass. There we go. Just think about the mountains. And you think about their existence. Like to get from here to California by car, it's going to take some time. And so we can like use some dynamite and we can like blow holes through tunnels and create, or through the mountains and create tunnels. But the Lord with a word like the mountains melt like wax, the, the crooked places, the, the hills that feel like massive obstacles, insurmountable obstacles are made flat and melt before the Lord. This is a God who has the power to actually sustain us and to deliver us from the exile. He's the only one. And in the midst of the brokenness of this culture, we're called to actually trust in his power. So as you think about your life in this world, you think about the pain and the darkness you see, you see the injustice around you, you see the darkness in your own heart, your own contribution to the brokenness in this world. As we see those things, the fact that the Lord is on the throne, that he has power, the Lord reigns. He has power. The brokenness in this world ought not to be a time for us to question his reign, but to lean into his reign, to trust in his reign, to cry out for his reign, to cry out, Lord, let your kingdom come because his kingdom is marked by justice and righteousness. And so the cry isn't, well, what about all the brokenness? Where is God? The cry is, look at all the brokenness. Jesus, come again. Make these things straight. Make the crooked things straight. Bring your reign. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord reigns, and that ought to give us joy as we live in exile. That ought to be one of the themes that's circling around in your mind as you're thinking about life in this world. God is on the throne, 
and it's dark. There's scary things. There's stuff in my heart and there's brokenness around me. God is on the throne. It feels like chaos. It feels disordered. I can't even make sense of what's going on in my life and in my relationships. God is on the throne. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. There's joy for you. God reigns. But another theme in this passage I think is really significant and uh, really relevant for us that we've been kind of circling around for a while is this. Um, The gods of our culture are worthless. This is also in Psalm 96. The gods of our culture are worthless. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. Um, Paul's going to kind of talk about those themes in Romans 1. What it's saying is like the earth itself, the universe itself is like crying out to us, God is real. He is powerful. He is divine. He is holy. We are created beings that live under the sort of like grace and the life-giving power of a divine being. And the whole world sees it, even though we, we take different devices, we even use the intellect God gave us to design systems and philosophies that can push him out and that make us either kind of like articulate a philosophical atheism, which is like actually saying material things are all that exists and God's not real. Let's create another way to talk about the existence of our universe. Or a practical atheism, which says, I'm going to ignore the glory of God all around me and I'm going to live my life every day as if he doesn't exist. When all of creation is like crying out to us, like we sang about, this is my father's world. We see it in the trees and in the lilies and the birds and the mountains and the rivers. We see it all around us. It's his world. And yet, what we do as human beings is we turn from him to created things. Look at verse 7. It says, all worshipers of images or things that are made by human hands are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. So worship him, all you gods. And so here's, here's the image, is that we as human beings then take the things we can accomplish or, or create or achieve or accumulate on our own, and we tend, tend to put our identity and our, our life in those things. And so I, I've, I was thinking about this this week because we talk about these things all the time. Like, what does this actually, what does this look like? I think about when I was a kid, I'd get trophies, right, for like sports things, most of them for uh, participation, right? And then a couple for like doing something meaningful. And, uh, and then so you'd like get these trophies and I had a trophy shelf. And, uh, and so that trophy shelf is like a way to be like, well, look at this and look at this and look at this. And you, you have one too, right? Like you have your trophy shelf. Like look at my, look at my intellect. Like I'm, I'm smarter than people. I'm smarter than the people around me. Or I try to pretend like I am by saying smart things, right? Or I have beauty, or I have fitness, or I have savings, or I have this home, or I have these impressive children, or I have this car, or I have this, this laid-back lifestyle, or I go on these vacations, and I, and I can do these trips, and, I'm, and whatever it is, and we kind of like take these trophies, like, like look, look, look at what I've accomplished, look at what I've achieved, look at what I've accumulated. Aren't I worth something? Aren't I valuable? Aren't I worthy of love? Like, do you see my trophy shelf? Isn't it great? And this psalm says it's actually worthless. Like, I, I don't know where my trophies are. I was like, maybe they were sold in a garage sale. But, but no, because nobody would buy somebody's trophies at a garage sale, right? Like, they're thrown away somewhere because they are worth zero. And the same is true of these things that we try to achieve and accumulate. But maybe you feel like, I haven't achieved, I haven't accumulated. What you feel is, is shame. I don't have a trophy. I don't have the beauty of that person. I don't have the intellect. I don't have the career. I don't have the family. I don't have this other thing. What you feel is embarrassed. You feel shame. But you're living by the same economy. You're living in an economy where you think that it's achievement that gives you worth. 
And so you're thinking these people have worth because they've achieved and these people don't have worth or I don't have worth because I haven't accomplished these things or I don't have these things to, to acclaim for myself. I have these no things. And what it's saying is like those who boast in this or those who feel shame in this, the whole system is garbage. The whole system does not translate into the kingdom of God. It is a worthless currency. The things you can accomplish and do in your life is a worthless currency. Think about like the Zimbabwe dollar, like in 2015, they had to do a massive shift because 35 quadrillion Zimbabwean dollars equated to one U.S. dollar. Like it had so inflated over the course of years, like so rapidly that they do a massive shift because it, it became worthless. And that's what we're doing. We're like in, accumulating like worthless currency that doesn't translate into anything. The whole system is broken. The whole like economy of finding worth and love and life and righteousness is broken. And so we know that. What I think is powerful about the psalm is it says that they're worthless. And you begin to feel that. But here's what I think happens when we feel it. We run to these things for life, for identity, for security. And when they start caving or we feel the emptiness, we feel the worthlessness. Do you know what we do? We run to other gods as ways of deliverance and escape. So you pursue worth in your family and you feel the pain and the burden, the difficulty of the family and it's overwhelming. And so you escape over here and you start having lustful thoughts, adulterous thoughts, fantasies, or an adulterous relationship. You feel the weight of work and you're trying to like prove your worth at work and you're achieving your work and you're working and you come home and you're so worn out, you're so stressed out that we just have to drink, 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 drink to numb ourselves from the pain. We're going to this now as another God, a God of rest, a God of deliverance, a God of escape. And it's also worthless. You think like, man, I want to find life and worth and power. And so we're sleeping around and, and you're just like doing these different things or you're getting involved in weed or you're watching Netflix like nonstop because not because it's this opportunity to like experience the culture of the world and the goodness of God, but to escape, to numb ourselves, to distract ourselves from our pain. So you can kind of think about gods as both the things that you think will give you life, but also the things you run to when your life is collapsing. And so I want to ask you, what are you going to for life? And what are you going to when life is collapsing? What are you going to for life? And then where do you run? Maybe in the dark, maybe in private, maybe only in your heart when life is collapsing around you. What I think is interesting about the psalm is it doesn't just talk about the worthlessness worthlessness of idols. It actually goes farther. And there's this imperative in the psalm, this command. It says, lovers of God hate evil. That's a command. It's not lovers of God hate evil. It's lovers of God hate evil. Turn from evil. Sorry, so what's evil? Is that evil people, evil culture, evil things? No, evil is the things that exist in the world that are actually turning our heart away from the giver of life and the giver of salvation. And so Jeremiah 2 is a, is a passage we've quoted a ton here, but it talks about this idea of evil and idolatry. Here's what it says. It says, has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? In other words, it's saying, have the people of God taken the, the value and the life and the deliverance and the rest that we find in God and said, no, thank you to the real God, the true God. We're going to exchange that God for these other gods that aren't gods at all. They're worthless. They're empty. They do nothing. He says, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. They've actually given me up for things that give them nothing, for worthless pursuits, things that do not accomplish anything for them. 
And so he says, so be appalled, O heavens, at this. It's like he's calling the universe to the witness stand in a courtroom. And he says to the, to the universe, he says, do you see this? Isn't this appalling how my human beings that I created to know life in me have turned from me and have tried to find life in no gods and things that cannot give life? Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They turn from the source of life. They turn from me. Evil number one. Evil number two. And they have hewed out for themselves cisterns. Broken cisterns that can't even hold water. And he's saying that's actually evil. It's evil. It's evil to to take this world that God made and to ignore him and to act like the gladness and the joy is not found in his reign, but it's found as we forge our own way through this life. And we all are prone to commit the evil. So to ask you again, What are the areas in your life that you're running to for life? And where are the areas in your life that you're running to when life falls apart? And it's not merely that those don't work. It's not merely that those don't satisfy. It's actually evil. And we're called as human beings, as the people of God, to turn from that, to actually forsake that, to hate that evil and say, no, I want God. I want Jesus. I want life. But it's hard. It's hard. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson said this. He said, what dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives. What dominates your imaginations, your desires, your longings, what dominates your thoughts, it will give shape to your life. But in the midst of our culture, I think it's very difficult. It's It's a war. It's a daily battle, which is why I love the way this psalm ends. Um, the last theme I want to just draw attention to in the psalm is this, and it's, and it's good news for the weary. It's good news for like the battle weary, where you're feeling the kind of like constant propensity, the proclivities of your heart to turn away from God, to run away from his reign, and it's hard. And I love, I love what happens in verse 11. Um, probably, a, if you're looking at the ESV, there's probably a better translation, so I'm going to read a slightly better translation. Light dawns for the righteous. Slight dawns for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. And the images of darkness, weariness, pain, and that, that darkness and that weariness and that pain and that restlessness and the difficulty of life in exile, it's not forever. Exile is not forever. Surviving on this journey is not forever. The, the day is coming when the light will break into the darkness and joy will be there for you. Hope will be there for you. Life will be there for you. Um, I think I've shared this a, a few years ago. Um, in 2005, I did a church planting internship in Brazil. And I was going with two Brazilian nationals and an American missionary uh, in Brazil. And we were going to the interior of Brazil. We were in a city called Maceió. And we went uh, several uh, hundred miles into the interior of Brazil to kind of scope out this different area. Uh, We were thinking about doing a men's retreat. And, um, And on the way back, one of the Brazilian nationals had just gotten a new job. And we had to get back by a certain time on a certain day. And we knew to get back, we were gonna have to drive through the night. And uh, it was one of the craziest experiences of my life. The things that happened on that trip were nuts. But I just want to say, like, we hadn't slept for a few days. I just felt like there was no sleep. We were weary. We were tired. And we had to drive back through the, uh, through the night. And uh, as we were driving back through the night, we stopped to get gas somewhere. And we were going to turn down this road. But the gas station attendants basically said, where are you going? And we're like, we're going to go down this road. And they said, well, you can't go down that road at nighttime. And they called it Rua de Pistoleiro, which is like the gunman's road. 
It's like it's gunman's road. So at nighttime, what happens is this long, kind of like a pothole-infested road that has these huge crops on either side of it. And what happens is these bandits, these gunmen, will hide in the bushes. And when a car's coming, they see a car coming, they'll kind of prod out cattle or livestock into the road. You can't turn around anywhere. So you just come. You have to stop. And then they basically mug you and take your stuff, maybe kill you, maybe not. And, uh, but we were like, well, this guy has to get back. And Lord Jesus... Help us in our stupidity, you know, and we went for it anyways. And, um, and I just remember, I, it's dark, it's pitch black, and so you're just looking like as far ahead as you can. Just if you see any movement, any, anything at all, because if something comes, it's like, man, we just reverse out and try to turn around and get out of there so we don't get in this difficult situation. And I just remember, like, eyes peeled, but I was so tired. We were all so tired. And, like, little by little, I'm feeling, like, the heaviness of, like, a few days with no sleep. And finally, I drift off to sleep. And I woke up to just like uh, this battering on the window and people with rifles, true story, yelling at us, telling us, get out of the car, get out of the car. And I don't speak like good enough Portuguese to understand. They're just like, Gary, get out of the car. And I'm like, oh my, and, you know, I'm like rubbing my eyes. And one of the guys in the car had like unfastened his belt because it was just like more comfortable on this like, you know, 14 hour trip. And so he's like trying to fasten his belt back up and they're screaming at him, like thinking he's trying to pull a weapon or something. It was intense. It was terrifying. And it turned out they were police officers who were saying, like, what are you doing out there? They actually expected that we were doing something wrong because nobody sane or thoughtful or in any ways intelligent would do what we were doing. And so um, they thought we were. So finally they realized that we were just dumb missionaries. And so we, we got back in the car and they escorted us out, but still they were just saying, pay attention. And what we were waiting for, it was anxious, it was overwhelming, it was weary, it was exhausting, it was dangerous, we were vulnerable. And we were just waiting for the sun to rise. Because once the sun rises, like, it's like your heart can rest. Like morning is breaking in and the evil is going to go away and scatter because the light will scatter the evil and the weariness and the darkness. That what we're waiting for is the sun to rise. What we're waiting for is the dawn to come. And I think it's true in this life. There's a weariness that you feel. There's a stress and an anxiety and a brokenness and a temptation to wander. And it's this like daily battle for your soul. You know, stay awake. Stay awake. Like be vigilant. Pay attention. Let the Psalms kind of be the, the mixtape of your life in the midst of exile, and the morning is coming. This is not forever. Light will dawn. Jesus, who came, who actually shed his blood to show us his love, to show us his forgiveness, he is coming again, and he will make all things new, and joy will break in, and there will be gladness and singing for the people of God. What I think is interesting, it says, it dawns for the righteous. So the question is, like, are you righteous? And my answer personally would have to be, well, no. I'm not. Like, in fact, the Old Testament, and quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 3, says no one is righteous, not even one. We've all turned from God. We've all forsaken him. We've all exchanged his glory for other things. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so when the justice comes and the kingdom of God comes, what awaits the unrighteous? Well, there's judgment. Like, wait, so is, is, do we want that to come? Well, you do, because Jesus, before he's coming again, he already came. And when he came, he did not come to condemn. He came to forgive. He came to actually accomplish a righteousness in his own life, in his own love, in his own faithfulness to God, in his own faithfulness in living through this exile. He was faithful to God, and he gives us that righteousness through faith. Just by trusting in him, all of his righteousness is like, this is for you. And if you trust in me, you get life with me. 
you trust in me, you experience my love and my acceptance. And not only that, he also shed his blood for us, that through his shed blood, our sin is washed away and forgiven, and he's established both his love and his justice all on the cross. And he's drawing us back into relationship with him that we can hold fast to God even now by the power of the Holy Spirit while we wait for the day when Christ will come again. And he will come again. And this is a hallmark of the Christian faith. That if you live your life as if the return of Christ means nothing, you have assimilated to cultural idols. Do you understand? If the return of Christ is not something your heart is longing for, then something about this exile, we've actually kind of like over-owned this time as like, as if this is it. And it's not. Christ is coming again. Hold fast in the darkness. The morning is coming. Light is coming and it will break in. And what I want us to do actually as we close, I want us to do something different because I've been burdened as I've thought about these themes in my own life. Why do I turn again and again and again to the same old idols I've always turned to? Because I do. And so do you is my guess. So do you. And why? I think there are a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons I think that is just interesting is, is just the, the hyper busyness and distracted life that we live. That we don't slow down enough to pay attention. And there's a guy named Ronald Rollheiser uh, who wrote a book called The Holy Longing. And he's, he talks about these demons that torment our modern culture. And he talks about things like pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness. And here's one of the things he said. He says, for every kind of reason, good and bad, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We will close up the service. The sanctuary is going to get crazy. Kids are going to be running around. People are going to be chatting. You're going to run off. You're going to figure out lunch. And maybe God's trying to speak to you. Maybe he's doing something to bring you back to him. But because the busyness and the freneticism of our life, we don't slow down to let him actually into the places of our heart. We don't let him to speak into those dark areas. We move past it and we distract ourselves like spiritual death forgetting about his reign, not slowing down to experience his love, not letting him kind of shine the light of his grace into the darker areas of our heart, that actually requires slowing down. And so we want to take a moment here as we close to slow down here, but it also needs to be a part of our life. This is very challenging for me. I have a very difficult time slowing down, and the cost is the health of my soul. Every time I'm overwhelmed and busy and anxious, I can pay attention. I have not slowed down to experience loving union with Jesus. I haven't slowed down to experience the goodness of his reign and the freedom of his love and the beauty of his grace. And so let's right now, as we close in prayer, calm our hearts before the presence of God. Jesus, um, would you help us now? Um, we don't want to tune out right now. We want to tune into the reality of your presence. And so we acknowledge you've been with us and you're with us now. So I'm going to pray a big prayer. Um, and I want to ask, please, mercifully, and Jesus, would you speak with power um, into the individual hearts of those in this room as we calm our hearts before you? And we'll walk you through maybe a, an exercise to help. I want you to imagine like right now, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Um, the word of God says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Um, he's knocking at the door of your heart. 
him. I want you to think, what would it mean right now to let him in? And just even whether you want to imagine it or just to think in your heart, just to kind of open up your heart and say, Jesus, I want, I want you to come in. I'm sorry I've been keeping the door closed. And maybe there are some areas um, of your life where you've been running to for life or maybe the areas where you've been running when life is falling apart. Dark areas that are hard for you to even think about. You try to like tuck those away, especially on Sunday. You don't want people to see it. You don't want to pay attention to it. Um, But I want to invite you right now to say, Jesus, I want to let you into this. And I just want to confess. The the Christian word, uh, the Bible word is confess. Or just be honest about the, the presence of these these evils in my heart or in your heart, the areas where you've run for life, the areas where you've run to escape the weight of life. And just to tell him, this is real about me. And to know that he doesn't hear that with disappointment and shame. He's not a a heaper of shame. It says if we confess our sins, he's actually faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, Jesus, would you speak, even as people are being honest, would you give them grace to be honest with you and honest with themselves about what's, what's been in their heart? And would you speak your grace, your transforming, freeing grace into the shadows, into the darkness, into the sin and the brokenness of our hearts? because of Jesus, um, because of his blood shed for you, because of his death for you, his resurrection, the love of God is secured in Christ. So don't you hear the voice of a father as you confess your sins, saying, son, daughter, I love you and I'm pleased with you. I'm not disappointed with you. I'm not fed up. I'm not irritated. I'm not burdened by your existence. I've paid for those things. The debt has been paid. The price is paid. It's finished. You'd hear the Lord saying, I've removed your transgression as far as the east is from the west. No longer do I count your iniquities against you, that you are welcome as a son or a daughter into the presence of God and his love freely. You're not second rate. You don't carry shame. He is washing you. He's washed you with the blood of Jesus. And you are welcome home into the Father's love. 
And Father, for those that are battling right now, afraid of what repentance would be, afraid of what it would mean to turn, afraid to let you in because, because maybe there's some, some really dark, dark things. Things that, to be honest about, um, would mean uh, hard things. And I pray that you would give them this, this deep faith that to turn to you, to hold fast to you, to run to you, and to let go of even a sense of pride in who they are, a sense of pride in their appearance, the way they've projected their appearance to those around them, that they would actually know that as a community, we want to be a people that are showing grace to one another, that we wouldn't be surprised by each other's sinfulness, but we'd be walking with each other into your presence, walking with each other into your love, into your grace, reminding each other of the cross, helping each other to fight for joy, helping each other to know uh, your love and the depth of your grace towards us. And so would you help those battling right now, Jesus, please help them. Please help them not to not to close off their heart again, but just like we saw a couple weeks ago, today, if they're hearing your voice, would you help them to not harden their hearts and help us to be a people that find joy in you, we pray in Christ's name, amen.